0: John chapter one, as you recall, the last time, on October 30th, oh, sorry, on uh, October 3rd, we discussed uh, the portion of Jesus Christ being called the Word. And I showed you how throughout history, even antiquity, uh, people had been looking for Him and even read to you secular prophetic words written from ancient Greece and so forth, speaking to the one who would come born of a virgin. And uh, I showed you very clearly that God was even speaking through non-biblical prophets in a manner pointing to Christ. And one of the reasons that that is true is because of this term light, L-I-G-H-T. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. As you know, the Gospel of John is written by John the Revelator. It is also the same John that writes the Epistle 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and of course this one. This gospel is known as the gospel of eternity. John, The gospel of John is known as the gospel of eternity, for it is the gospel of God. John was specifically prepared as a vessel for the very honorable mission that was given to him to write this gospel, for he had been from his youth a beloved apostle. His head had rested upon the Lord's bosom. Uh, He had stood beside the cross, had witnessed the ascension, uh, had cherished the mother of the Lord, Mary, until her death. He had seen the Jewish dispensation close and the holy city overthrown. He had seen the temple sacked by Titus in 70 A.D. and he had seen the Jewish religious worship completely grind to a halt. And to him he saw the beatific vision of the apocalypse which he wrote about in the Revelation and that had been granted to him. So it is fitting that it is an expression of John, the writer of, this, of God's gospel of eternity, these words in chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 where he says why this gospel is written. He says, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these, these things, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that believing you may have life in His name. Everything that is in verse 31 of chapter 20 is found in verses 1 through 5 in chapter 1. It is his summation. It is his thesis. It is the purpose of why he is writing. And all of these key words, in fact, that are in verse 31 are the key words of this gospel of eternity, of this gospel of John. It's all over and we're going to take a long time to go look through it in the days and weeks and months ahead. And so the opening words of this chapter are very profound. They are very profound, and as I shared with you the last time, and will not repeat, but it is on our podcast, and you can certainly listen to it. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And I want to show you three things in this passage of Scripture Uh, in the times that we have remaining, and that is simply the threefold relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ in number one, His relationship with God. His relationship with God. The threefold relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ in His relationship to God. All right? In His relationship to God, He is called the Word, the Logos, the Logos, Christ Himself is the uttered speech. He is the utter speech of God's thought. He is the visible expression, the Bible says, of the invisible God. It says this in 1 John 1 verse 2. For the life which was with the Father was manifested unto us. This word was in the beginning... The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His ways. I was daily His delight. This is Proverbs chapter 8, 22 through 30. Proverbs chapter 20, Proverbs chapter 8, 22 through 30. Jesus was not at no point ever began. He has always been. He has always, He is. And if we have time... And, and if it affords ourself the time, we will go look at it much more deeply with the Greek word that is specific here that shows how weak our English is and how much our hearts can be fulfilled by seeing it come through with the ancient manuscript. The word was with God, yea, more the word was God, you'll notice in the text. So we're talking about his relationship to God. He was God. He is God. Man's infinite mind cannot grasp. It cannot grasp the mystery of the Trinity. As much as we try, even a devout believer, as much as we try, we may not ever understand it, but we have no problem bowing down before it and adoring it. That's what makes us believers is this triune God. One, one God, three persons. Three distinct identities, all one, yet all the same substance, but not all the same. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Spirit, but they are all God. And it is in most amazing, amazing truth. And that he who was in the form of God, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, the great passage known as the kenosis, the self-emptying of Christ, the self-emptying of God the Son. He who was in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal to God, and he made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a slave, The Greek word there is doulos. This is not a slave that a Jew would own. This would be a slave whose life belonged to somebody that had the total control over their life and death. Their life was completely purchased and every act they had was to be in obedience to their master. Whatever was asked for must be done under the pain of death. And so he, was, he became a doulos, this slave, and, in, and to such that he died on the cross for the sin of the world. And it is a mystery of grace that can only be fathomed by the mystery of the Trinity. Because you must understand that on the cross God did not die. The Trinity remained intact. But the person Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the human being paid in his body the spotless lamb. He died stone cold dead. Stone cold dead. And so that is his relationship to God. Not only was, has he been with God from the beginning, wherever that is, which we know there is none, as he's called the word, remember the first word of the Bible is light be in the Hebrew. That's the first word of the Bible. Light the light, and what is Jesus called? The light. Jesus is called in Revelations chapter 3, the Amen. At the What is the last word of the Bible? Amen. The first word and the last word of your Bible points to Christ. Points to Jesus Christ. Not, not the second or third word. The first word. Because in, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say in the beginning. In the Hebrew it says, Light be. Isn't that amazing? So he's the first word, the last word. He's the alpha, the first letter, the omega, the last letter. Right? And everything in between. But not only is that who he is, but his relationship to God was one of complete and total obedience and dependence, which I'm going to show you this in a moment. And consequently, he did everything his fathers told him to do, and he went and redeemed for himself a people whom God had given him, as we learned the last time, reading from the Great Confession of Faith that uh, Baptist had that written back in the eight in the 1600s, the latter 1600s. I looked up this passage of Scripture in the confession and what the men who wrote the confession where they say, you know, what they did is they wrote these sentences using all these biblical texts so that people could not necessarily just have to go ask a minister, where do I find this, It'd say, Jesus is the Son of God, where do I find that? You go to the confession, it'll show you, but it won't just show you one verse, it'll show you all these verses. And so these are, these, are heritage, these are pieces of our heritage as a people, as Christian people. And let me say this to you, concerning this concept of the only begotten of the Father, just so you understand this, the Father is not derived, this is the historical confession, it's known as the Second London Confession, the, or the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. This is what I fully and completely am in full subscription to. Not 99%, 100% to this. Okay? It says, The Father is not derived from anyone neither begotten nor preceding. Consequently, as it says right here in John, right here in our verse, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. Well, what in the world does that mean? Why did they have to use the word begotten? Because they had translated it into English. That's why. The reality simply is this. Look at John 1 14 and 18. Look what it says. And the Word, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Now, who saw it? John. Who's the we? The disciples, right? And we learned how significant that is in our study of 1 John. And we saw His glory. "...the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth." Verse 18, "...for no one has seen God at any time." The only begotten God, is, who is the only begotten God. Notice the text. Look what it says. "...no one has seen God at any time." The only begotten God. It doesn't say of God. It says the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father he has explained to him there is no point at which jesus christ the son of god has ever not existed he is eternal before after everything in between and beyond and he remember from our lesson on the third of october why this was so significant and so that is just a word about that he is because of this you need to write this down In his relationship to God, how does he appear? He is fully God and fully man. He's not fully God and man. That's wrong to say it that way. He is fully God and fully man. Or you may say the infinite God-man. That's different than saying fully God, fully man. Or the God-man. He is infinitely god infinitely man. Okay, So that's just a little bit of history for you from a uh, deep spot and I'm not going to press the point. I want you to notice the second thing. We've seen his relationship to God. The second thing this text shows us is his relationship to creation. His relationship to creation. Notice what it says in verse 3. The text says right here, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that has been made. Paul taught this doctrine of God. He taught this, and he said this in Ephesians chapter 3. God created all things by Christ Jesus. Paul said it, that settles it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. It pleased God to bring the old creation into being through the, listen, through the instrumentality of His Son. It has also pleased Him that the new creation that is coming will also come through the instrumentality of His Son. The old creation came through Christ, the new one shall come through Christ. What did He say? Behold, I make all things what? New. Okay? And so in Hebrews, it tells us, in Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning, the very beginning, it says this. It says that by Him, He made the worlds. He made everything. And by Him, He seeks also to redeem this world lost in sin. This is Hebrews. What, what are they doing? The writer of Hebrews is writing converted Jews that are constantly being influenced by their world, to turn back to their old ways. And so he, what does the writer of Hebrews do? He begins to show them beginning with Abraham and going through the Scripture and Mekeseldek and Moses and the angels and all of these things. And he goes through and then he arrives at Jesus Christ to so, show the, suprema, the supremacy of Christ over all things. Not only is over all things, but the king of the universe, the one who created all of it in that which we do not even know to exist. And so you find that in Hebrews 1 verse 2. And so he by whom God made all things also did this. He made peace by the blood of the cross. By the blood of the cross. Now this is Jesus Christ's relationship To creation. Remember what he did. We studied this some time ago. Remember we talked about how the creation groans in futility, awaiting for the birth of the sons of God to be presented and all of these things. How can that happen? Because Jesus Christ redeemed the creation as well. Lifting the curse. Lifting the curse. And so we walk as people who are no longer under the curse. That's the glory of the cross. We're no longer under the curse. I don't have to perform to be saved. I, am, I perform because I am saved. And I have a reason to continue doing. If I take two steps back, God is gracious to jump me forward three steps forward because that's what He does. That's what He does. And the more we learn of the grace of Christ, we're not going to move into some kind of new liberalism or licentiousness or saying anything. If we understand truly what the grace of Christ is all about in the sacrifice, we are going to do less sinning and more towards sanctifying in our life because we know it is an effort we can accomplish because greater is He that is in us than he that's in the world. Amen. Amen? All right, now watch this. Now, this if you don't get anything, get this. The Lord Jesus Christ, as the Word of God, holds the same position. He holds the same position towards the new creation as He did the old. Now, catch this. Listen to this. This is wonderful. Without Him, God did nothing in the creation. That's what the biblical testimony says. Without Him... There was no creation. Without Him, nothing that has been made has been made, and that which has not been made has not been made because He didn't make it. So, listen to this point and write this down. Without Christ, God did nothing. So, therefore, so therefore, without Christ, we can do nothing. So, consequently, since we have Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Now, we know that Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me you can do nothing in John 15 verse 5. But now you know why He says that. In John 15, 5, this revelator, this man writing the eternal gospel of God, is sitting here and has made the point, it's because Jesus Christ is the agent of creation. So when Jesus says, without me you can do nothing, it is because God has decreed in His word, or rather declared, that nothing has been done without Christ. So therefore, we can do nothing without Him. So therefore, if we can do anything, that means we can do it in Him. And because the curse has been lifted, then what do we need to do? We need to be about doing. Amen? Amen. So all things were created by Him and for Him and by Him. All things consist and they hold together. You know, we sing the song, He's got the whole world in His hand. The whole world is in His hand. The whole world is in His nail-pierced hand. It's a nail-pierced hand that holds the world. That's the one that holds it. He holds it all together. And I'm going to tell you what, if I was a betting man, I'm going to put it all down on Him because He's the one that holds it together. He's the center and He's the support of all of it. Why? Because He's the Maker. Listen to what Revelation says. John says this again in the Revelation. He looks to the past on how to be saved and what are the requirements of belief. In 1 John, what does John do? He teaches you how you can be certain that you're saved, how you know you have assurance of faith, having done what is in John, and then having done what is written in John, believing your assurance in 1 John, he tells you of the glory that you're going to get in his Revelation. That's what He does. Past, present, and future for the Christian life. And what does He say in Revelation? John the writer says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were created. Listen, You weren't created for nothing more than the pleasure of God Himself. That should mean something to you. That should mean something of value to you. You were created for His pleasure. Amen? Amen! Amen. Praise the Lord. But that's His relationship to the creation. And we know one thing. There is nothing in the creation like the human being. Though created lower than the angels, the Bible says, we are the epitome of the creation of God for He has marked us in a way that no other creation in the universe has ever been marked, is marked, or will be marked. He put the imago day. He put the image of God upon us. We bear the image of God. And we bear the image of God to remind ourselves that we are created for His pleasure. Amen? And if all things are created for His pleasure, surely He will see the travail of His own soul for our behalf and be satisfied because He has purchased us for Himself. If He was ever asked in heaven this question, looking down upon us pieces of dust, and if the Father ever looked at the Son or an angel were bold enough to even open His eyes and look at Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords and ask this question, was it worth it? They have done all of these things in spite of what you have done for them. Was it worth it? And he will say, absolutely. Greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for a brother. He loves you. Number three. Let me just just, uh, show you this also. Relationship to man. You have the relationship to God. You have Jesus' relationship to, to creation now, briefly, relationship to man. One of the reasons that we have changed a little bit of the way that we worship is because it's not to recapture something or to make ourselves different. Everybody sells different fireworks. We're not into that. God in His scripture has declared how He is to be worshiped. And I don't have any more to say about that this morning. But we want to do what He declares, nothing more and nothing less. But one of the things that I have learned in the study just recently of all these things is that, and and particularly myself and those of you that have listened to me for 10 years, I have always believed very strongly in the prophetic office of the preacher. You know, he's supposed to pound the pulpit and step on toes and all of those kind of things. But one thing I was not taught in seminary and not ever exampled by in any of my upbringing, but is also the priestly role of the pastor. Pastors are not just to pound their people. They're also to pray for their people. They're to publicly show them they're pardoned. They're to publicly teach them that because Christ has cleared the road, they are able to step forward. And I will tell you something. It is a very lonely life to be a man who tells people every week, you need to live by faith, not by your feelings. It is a very lonely path for a pastor who teaches with Scripture for people to understand you need to just obey the Lord and leave the consequences to Him. In spite of everything, it's a you're looking at a very lonely man. It's a very lonely job. But what is it that what is it that brings comfort? It is the fact that there's a priestly role to this. Not a priestly role like this kind of priestly role. I'm talking about that's what we are and we think well I don't understand that though because Jesus Christ is our high priest and yet in the scripture his spirit is prophecy it says that on him and he's called the great priest but what did Jesus do the great uh, the great he's called the great high priest but what did he do he spoke to the people for God to the people then what did he do as the high priest he was sacrificed and what did he do he was presented and mercy and grace and acceptance was made and he was raised from the dead. Now he does not preach. What does he do? He does the priestly role. He sits on the hand of judgment of God and what does he do? He makes intercession for you and I. We think that too much that church is about the sermon. It's not. It's, that's part of it. It's the most important part but only so much important as which came first, the chicken or the egg? Only so much. The reality of it is worship is to be worshiping God to understand we are sinners and yet we are pardoned sinners. And to make intercession and to sing to the glory of God, to adore Him and to confess and to give thanksgiving and to pray uh, for our own needs of our body and to go on and to learn and to move deeply, deeper. But in the the great, the, the, the point I want to make here is in the relationship to man. We tend to be biased to think of Jesus as a preacher. But in his relationship to man, what you see preeminently in John's gospel is Jesus as prophet. So let me show you something here. i want going to read through. I'm going to read the confession to you, the historical Baptist confession. It's also in the Westminster, so it's Presbyterian, the Protestant confession, what we believe as Protestants. And look at verse 4. It says, "...in him was life." And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now I didn't want to come bring you a sermon on everything I could tell you about light. Light is not what we're... That's not what this is. You go have a high school physics class on light. We want to talk about the light, Jesus, that's mentioned here. So let's talk about this relationship He has to men. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. There is no life outside of Jesus. There is only other things. But outside of Christ, there is no life. Why is the life spoken of as the light of men and not of creation? Why is life not spoken of life as the life of creation instead of what it says, He is the light and the life that's the light of men? Why does it say that? Well let me show you. Write this down. Jesus Christ has made the light for the material universe. He called it into existence. Light be. He called it into existence. Those are the first recorded words we have of our Messiah. Light be. And so Jesus made the light of the material universe But here this text shows us something different. In this text it says He is the light of men. This is different. He created the light for the material universe, but instead of taking the light of the material universe and putting it into men, what did He do? No, He is the light of men. This is a different light. This is a totally different light. Man is something distinct and superior to all created things. He is a personality. Man has a personality that needs the divine personality to meet every want, every want that person has. And so here's what it is. Every want you and I have, I'm going to tell you where you're going to find it. It's in Christ. You say, well... You know, while we were singing, I can't help but looking out the window. Well, it's gone. I thought maybe it was one of you. There was a brand new mid-engine 2021 Summit White Corvette sitting out there. I thought maybe one of you brought a new car to give as an offering to the church, uh, to the pastor's son. And it's gone, but I couldn't help but notice it out there because, you know, it's a Chevrolet. And it's a Corvette and all those other things. Uh, But every want we have is not that kind of want. Everything that is the longing of our heart is found in Christ because He is the light of men. It's not the light around men. And as I showed you from the Stoic philosophers and the Greeks and even the pagans all the way back to the time of the Code of Hammurabi, they had been looking for this light they have been looking for it. They just didn't know what they were looking for. And so the source of life is in Him. And God is giving us His Son, who has given us His Son. 1 John 5 verse 11 says, He has given us eternal life. To those whom the Father gives the Son, to them He has given eternal life. And the life is manifested how? Listen, the life is manifested in Christ Jesus For Christ Jesus is the true light which should lighten every man coming to the world. He came to the world that the world might have life, he says. Those are his words. Christ as the word of God is the living bread which came down from heaven that man may eat and not die. He is the living water that man may not, that man may drink and not dehydrate and die. Man shall not live by, the bread alone, by bread alone, but what does it say? He shall live by every word of God. That has two meanings. One, it speaks of living by the proclaimed word of God, but number two, it speaks of the Logos. God Himself, God the Son, Jesus Christ, whom was in the beginning. Amen? And so light was life. And so let me just show you something about the light. And we'll wrap up. This text shows us the relationship of Jesus Christ to God, the relationship to creation, His relationship to men. All in these five verses. But I want you to observe something, what the light is. The light is the life was the light. The life was the light. That's what the light is. The life was the light. So what is that talking about? Jesus is not only the light, He's not only the Word, He is the life. You got it? I don't, you can't really go any deeper than that. Not even me. Where, the, where does the light shine? The light shines in darkness. The light shines in darkness. Christ as the light did not shine on the darkness, listen to me, He shined in the darkness. He shined within the darkness. This is the marvel of all marvels, the mystery of all mysteries. God condescends, comes to earth to walk amongst His creation, shining the light on their sin, then paying the penalty of that sin. And then redeems them mediates it between His Father, goes back up to heaven, knows they're still going to mess up, and yet makes intercession and cannot wait to see them come in glory. And then will set them up in eternity and let them judge the angels and give them a new heaven and a new earth and live with them forever where there will be no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no, no anything that's bad, but just basking in S-O-N light. Amen? Wow. His own words are, I am come a light into the world. Jesus said in John twelve forty six, And so, brothers and sisters, the purpose of the light is simply this. It's to overcome darkness. And the center of darkness, where does it lie? The center of darkness lies in the human heart. The human heart and God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, is He who hath shined it, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, verse 6. He has shined this life, the light of men, this light, not into our closets, not into our minds, not into our secret places. He has shined this light in our hearts and given the light of the knowledge of God. Amen. And so what is the effect? The Bible says right here, and watch this. And I'll just skip the rest and just finish. Just put it all up. Watch this. It says, and the light and the darkness. Look what it says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You ever been to church before? You go in, you sit down, the countdown clock's going, you got five minutes to go, you get down to three, two, one, and on cue the band just, it starts going, it's awesome, and you're waiting for David Letterman to walk out. I mean, it's awesome what happens. And then the song leader comes out, and he says, How y'all feel this morning? Well, let me say something about that briefly. I've been a pastor long enough and going to church long enough. That is one question I don't want to be asked when I come to church. How do I feel? Especially if it's an early service. You know why? Because you come into the early service, you say, how do you feel? Well, somebody got my parking spot. They took my parking spot and somebody is sitting in my pew and I, and I spilled coffee on me trying to get here because of traffic and construction and you want to know how I feel? You don't want to know how I feel. But the proper question to ask is this and this is what I want to leave you with. It's not how do you feel as you leave here this morning. It's what do you know as you leave here this morning, it's not how did you feel about the sermon. What do you know? What you know is this. You know a little bit more about Jesus Christ and how much He loves you. And you know what? That ought to be enough to affect how you feel. Because the fact that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, yet He is strong. He came to this world for you. And the world cannot comprehend it for this reason. Particularly today, the world is obsessed with how it feels, not with what it knows. Comprehension is not an act of feeling. It is an act of knowledge. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld Him, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, who has come to shine His light into the darkness of our hearts, not to show us how bad we are, but to show us how good He is. And to change us from how bad we are to getting closer to how good He is. For it says that He is patient and He is long-suffering. Thank God I know. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, I'm saved. Thank God that He that which is old He has made new. Thank God that the Scripture says that He who knew no sin became sin, that we who are sinners may become the righteousness of God. But I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you how you felt. I asked you, what do you know? You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we should walk in confidence of it Because it is who we are in Christ. Amen? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for that which uh, we have been able to share this morning. I thank you, Father, that your grace is sufficient. Father, in nowhere in this, as we have learned, and of people of Christian faith, have we have we in any way made a path for us to live licentiously or to go forward and sin all the more because of this magnificent grace. Father, but it is because of this that we want to do better. It is because of this you have given the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us. You have sealed us in the beloved that we may do the works of righteousness. And Father, that I know is the desire of the hearts of our folks this morning. Father, we ask Your blessings as we go. That for, Lord, it is He who is the blessed one. It is Jesus who is the only sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is Jesus who alone has immortality, and who dwells in unapproachable light, the Scripture says, whom no one has ever seen or can see. And yet it's to Him that we give our lives to be of honor and of eternal dominion for His glory as we go in peace in the precious matchless name of the Son of the Ancient of Days, Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ and God's people said, Amen.